So I'd like to welcome everybody that's watching online or listening again by podcast or SoundCloud. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to start off with a little bit of a funny story. A while back, uh, <clears throat> after failing miserably at not giving flowers to my wife, <laughs> finally I got on a really good roll, except the flowers that I kept buying were the wrong kind of flowers. So eventually she just said, listen, just stop buying me flowers. I know exactly what I like. But the challenge is, is the flowers that she likes, you don't just get them at HEB or at a normal flower shop. Like they come in every, they're like the rarest, most hardest flowers to find. And so I finally decided to stop, you know, buying giant bouquets of flowers. And hopefully I'll get it right today with this nice little bitty pot and plant a very simple, easy red flowers for Mother's Day. Do you like those? <laughs> <clears throat> she says there are, you know, the good thing is I've got pretty thick skin after almost eight years of marriage with her, and uh, I think they're beautiful, and I know my daughter's going to love them. I mean, I know she's going to love them, but I do want to wish my wife a happy Mother's Day, and again, to everybody watching and everybody that's here. Uh, whether you have children or not, no matter what your situation, young, old, unmarried, married, widowed, all of you are called to be mothers, and today we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I want to teach you about a leader in Israel that many of you may not have ever heard or ever been taught about. It's a, it's a leader that I believe is an incredibly powerful person that we can all learn and glean from and walk out of here different with that kind of spirit that they have. Let me give you the context a little bit. This leader came about uh, three and a half generations after Joshua died when we start at the book of Judges. So the Israelites get into the promised land. I'll give you the context, okay? Israelites get into the promised land. Joshua leads in triumphal battle to come over the Jordan River. And the first thing they do is they deal with Jericho. Joshua was an incredible military leader. He had built a very strong military force. Moses had designated that all, everybody 20 and over was to serve in the military uh, before they moved on in their life. And that's still the way it is today. And so Israel had a really strong military. They were confident. They were bold. They had finally made it out of the promised land, and they had to deal with Jericho, which was an incredible battle. But after Joshua dies, at the beginning of the book of Judges, just three and a half generations later, Israel found themselves in a horrible place, destitute of confident leadership. And let me tell you how that happened. If you were here last week, I talked a little bit about how in Judges 2 and Judges chapter 3, that the Lord decided to leave many of the enemy nations in the promised land so that the new generations that were 20 and under and as they would grow would learn how to war and they would learn the faithfulness of the Lord and how to be faithful to him. God wants us all to understand how to fight spiritually and how to fight right. Spiritual warfare applies to this day. I just had a conversation with one of uh, our young guys here that, well, he's 35 years old, but my buddy Joey back over here caught me in the lobby. He gave his life to Jesus on Wednesday night and as uh, powerful. And since that night, he's been under incredible spiritual warfare. I happened to catch him for a minute. I said, well, that's normal. I said, don't think for a second that you're going to advance into the kingdom of God after a lifetime of being captivated by, captive by an enemy that has played us like puppets and that we're not going to have any spiritual warfare. That's normal. And I wish it'd be a life of ease and peace and immediately, but what happens is the enemy does all he can to pull you back. Now, what happens is, is you get peace and joy on the inside. But the enemy will do all he can to rob it from you with external circumstances. 
I've known people that give their life to Jesus and bam, they, lose, they lost their job. Flat tire, car accident, this thing, this weird thing, this weird thing. And what the enemy wants to do is get us to doubt and disbelieve the faithfulness and the goodness of God. But what I want to teach you is never get discouraged, never get swayed, never get dismayed, and don't give up. Stay the course. I know Jesus is powerful and real because he did it in me, and he'll do it in you. And here I am, 27, almost 28 years later, a former drug addict, drug dealer, uh, you know, convict, all the things that go with my past testimony. Now I'm transformed. I've got an incredible life with an incredible family. I got you all in my life, and I've got great coffee shops. And more than that, we're on a mission to advance God's kingdom in an awesome city like Corpus Christi, Texas. Amen? Or wherever y'all live, you've got that same mission. And so what happened was right after Joshua passes away and the command is given to the children of Israel to not live among, marry, and serve other gods in those four nations, guess what they do? They live among, they serve, and they start worshiping other gods. This is a repetitive pattern. Just three, actually one generation after Joshua passes away, the children of Israel begin to live this repetitive pattern of I, I fall into idolatry, I fall into har, harlotry, I fall into worshiping all these false gods and intermarrying with all these other nations whose, whose parents and grandparents served other gods. They got influence, and one of the things that you read about in Judges chapter 2, it says that the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, forgot God. Now let me tell you how you can forget God today. We forget God by compartmentalizing him in our life. What that means is we have our church time. I have my Jesus time here and there. I do my Christian duty here and there. But the rest of my time, I'm not thinking. I'm not communing. I'm not talking. I'm not living in an attitude of prayer. I'm just doing it the way I've always known to do it. For some of you, like my buddy Joey here and others that are here, we have had to live lives watching our own back. We didn't have parents that really were flamed on for Jesus or encouraging or strengthening us, and we found ourselves living on the streets, hustling with gangs, dealing drugs, or living that kind of lifestyle. Or if you've never gone that direction, which some of you have never gone that way, let me tell you something. Every single person here has to come to their end. Every one of us does. Even my children will have to come to their end. Now, I pray my four- and six-year-old never do what I did. I pray for that. And I'm going to do all I can to show them and teach them what a supernatural, on-fire, rocking, awesome, non-stop, super-shocking, Holy Ghost life looks like. And I don't care what anybody says. You got that? This isn't playtime. This isn't showtime. This is go time. It's go time for you and for your kids. God's on a mission, and he's moving now. And don't think for a second. Don't get swayed by what you see on the news or happening at the White House or in politics. I'm telling you, read Psalm 2. The Lord sits on his throne, and he laughs when the nations rage and plot against him and his people. I'm, I'm telling you right now, God didn't fall off the throne and get caught by surprise, all right? He's not caught by surprise. And so I want to teach my children I want to show them the beauty and the radiance and the wonder and the power and the greatness of who God is. But what had happened in Israel is everybody 20 and older died, except for Joshua and Caleb. 
So they had God's word, but they didn't experience the, the battle and fighting and the works of God the way that their patriarchs did. This is all Judges 2 and 3. I'm so giving you context, okay? So what does God do? He has a unique way of teaching you and me and my children how to fight right. Everybody has to overcome adversity. Everybody has to learn the faithfulness of the Lord. All of us will experience failure in some way, shape, or form in our life, right? But through failures and bombing it, we learn God's mercy, his grace, and his power. And ultimately, God has a way of bringing us to the end of ourselves, doesn't he? And what I always say is God, our end is God's beginning. When Joey approached me, he says, I want that fire that you've been teaching about. I said, well, are you at your end? He said, yes. Then I said, are you ready to go all in? He said, yes. Isn't that right, Joey? And guess what happened? Pow! A lightning strike came. Now, he's got to learn to live under God's shadow, but that only comes from dwelling in the secret place, Psalm 91.1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Almighty shall abide under the shadow. You know what it means to abide under a shadow? It means what I did in private is revealed in public. Right now, I'm abiding under a shadow. It's a shadow of his love. It's a shadow of his presence. It's a shadow of his confidence. And this leader that would ultimately come to rescue Israel was that type of person. So let me continue. Because Israel and the children of Israel repetitively did evil in the sight of the Lord, they would have these constant repetitive patterns of basically being conquered by their enemies. So because they chose to not heed the voice of the Lord and live their lives according to God's standard, they would get sold into slavery. And the enemies would harshly persecute them. This is a repetitive pattern. And guess what they would eventually do? They'd cry out to the living God. They would realize their idols are dumb and don't talk and have no power. So they would go back to their roots. They'd cry out to God, and God would rescue and deliver them. The leader that I'm going to talk to you about today was a leader that rose up in such a time as this. This is a time when God chose to lead the nation of Israel as a theocracy, and God used judges and spiritual leaders to govern and guide his people. So the leader I'm going to talk about today is about 146 years after Joshua, about three and a half generations after Joshua. This is also about 150 years before Israel's first king, which is King Saul, and about 200 years before we see King David, all right? This is the context for you. God made the decision to leave the foreign nations in the land to test the children of Israel's obedience to him and to teach them how to confidently fight together with him. Every battle that Israel ever won was from a supernatural divine intervention from God. God always intervened and did what the nation of Israel could never do. They were broken, and even though they had great military prowess, they were a young, small nation that needed God's divine guidance and intervention every single time. And that's what God wanted to teach them. God wanted to teach them that you can't do it alone. And I want to teach you all, you can't do it alone. The enemy will throw curveballs and try to knock you back and knock you down. Troubles and crisis and hardships and crazy weird things will happen. 
but God equips you and strengthens you and puts the spirit inside of you so that you have the supernatural strength to overcome those adversities. Amen? Amen. Come on, guys. I'm telling you, we can do this no matter what you're going through or what comes in the future. So the children of Israel consistently did not pass the test, all right? They did not pass the test. They had this repetitive pattern. They served other gods, and they worshiped idols. When this leader that I'm going to teach you about today comes to light, the nation of Israel was, the Bible says in Judges chapter 4, who I'm going to talk about, that the nation of Israel was harshly oppressed for 20 years. Now, let me tell you the things that was happening in their harshly oppressed. Their wives and their daughters were being human trafficked for the military army of the Canaanites. So if you were an Israelite woman in that day, you would get sold into prostitution and slavery to serve the military men. Sometimes two or three women would be taken to serve a military man, the military of Canaan. That's one of the things that was happening. If you have any creative abilities to bake, to cook, and to build, you would be taken into slavery, and you would build the, the, the enemy's army's kingdom. One of the specific things that we're told about is that the seamstresses and those that were fashion designers for beautiful clothes would make woven garments for the king and for the, the king's army and princes. And so it was an incredibly, incredibly oppressive time. We also see in this story, and I'm going to read it for you, but I'm giving you the context, that there was no normal life. Everybody walked in fear. They were divided. They were godless, and the country was in total disarray. Sound familiar? Now, we're not godless, and we're not in so much. I know the nation's polarized and divided politically and even racially, but the kingdom of God's not or shouldn't be. Right? And so this was a really crazy time for the nation of Israel. And I want you to imagine God's chosen nation that he led out of Egypt, that he built from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, makes it into the promised land. Their fearless leader, Joshua, dies. And now the nation is in total disarray. They're worshiping false gods. Women are being human trafficked, slave labor, and because of Israel's idolatry and disobedience, several things were happening inside Israel at this time. No normal life, new gods, war constantly at the gates, fear, worry, doubt, disbelief. And here's another important factor for you to know. 40,000 of Israel's military, all of their guns, I'm sorry, they didn't have any guns then. <laughs> I'm thinking guns, but all of their knives and their shields and their swords were taken from them. So they had no way to defend themselves except for a small remnant that was left in the nation of Israel. And this was happening less than four generations after Joshua passed his way into the promised land. The nation needed a strong, dynamic, and powerful leader who could lead God's people out of their bad decisions and wicked oppression. The setting was the land of Canaan. The king was a king named Jabin. The enforcer was a commander of the army named Sisera, and the weaponry that the enemy had was 900 chariots of iron. And the leader God would raise up would have the following qualifications to deliver the nation. Here they are. Married. A minister with a powerful ministry named after themselves. A prophet with incredible discernment. 
a mouthpiece of God that could prophesy accurately and fearlessly. And let me say something to all of you about being prophetic. Being prophetic is not some mystical thing that you can't attain. I'll break it down in the most layman's terms. To be prophetic means that I hear God's voice and I say what he tells me to say. I speak it accurately in love with his heartbeat to edify, encourage, exhort, and build the kingdom of God. All y'all, everybody say all y'all. Come on, guys, engage with me. If you're sleepy, there's a coffee shop right down the shopping center. If you got to do a double shot to stay awake for my sermon, one, we might have a problem, but number two, I don't really care. You do slap yourself left and right. You're in military training right now for a short time, and we're going to fire some women up in this house, all right? Yeah! Woo! This is a powerful story most of you have never heard. So just engage. I'm going to story tell with you a little bit, all right? I'm going to story tell with you. So this leader would raise up as a prophetic voice. In fact, one of the first characteristics we read about this leader is that they were a prophet. And I want to challenge all of you. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, or verse chapter 14, verse 1, to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. New Testament for right now. God wants you hot for the gifts of the Spirit. All of you like gifts. Everybody likes a gift. You'll take diamonds and gold and watches and cars and houses and stuff all day long. And the Lord's telling you, I got a gift for you. I want you to be zealous, fiery hot to get it. Not passive and maybe if he wants to give it to me. It's all right. If it happens, it happens. I'm saying, Lord, you, got, you gave good gifts to men. I'll take it. Come on, Papa. You said to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, so I'm asking for it, especially one, the gift of prophecy. You know why? Because prophecy brings God right now into the present and speaks his power and a word in a mysterious way that transforms lives right in front of you. See, the difference between a prophet and a psychic a psychic is a fortune teller. A prophet is a foreteller. Psychics bring information. Prophets bring revelation. Anybody can tell you about your past because demons follow around just like angels do. They're called familiar spirits. People go to psychics, they're like, oh, I saw you grew up on this country dirt road, and I see a brick house, and I see this. Oh, my God, that's where I was born. Oh. Don't be bewitched by that. The Samaritans got bewitched by a man named Simeon, or Simon. They thought he was the power of God. Don't think it's so wonderful if somebody comes up and tells you about your past or a current situation of somebody you want to date or a job you're thinking about taking, and you're like, oh, wow, that's so wonderful. If Jesus isn't in the mix, and it doesn't point you to Jesus, and it, and it doesn't cost you any money, it's not him. Do you hear me? And so this leader would raise up a prophet. We are a prophetic church. We're a prophetic generation. My kids need the prophetic. 
They need to see God. They need dreams, visions, signs. They need Joel 2.28 and Acts chapter 2 continuously. God pouring out his spirit upon his men servants and his maid servants. Prophecy, dreams, visions, and signs and wonders. Come on, guys. I will equip and train you to walk in that. Jesus does it. The Holy Spirit does it, and it's in the Bible. I had a meeting with Cole, one of our young adults. He wanted to hang out. So we hung out. I said, get your phone, turn it on, and hit record. He's like, okay, okay. What, what's happening? While he's drinking his double macchiato, I said, you are about to get, a, get rocked by the Holy Spirit. And I opened my mouth and prophesied for about 10 minutes. Two recordings. I paused and I said, turn it back on. I got something else for you. Isn't that right? And now he will war with his prophecies like the apostle Paul instructed his spiritual son Timothy to do. You need prophecy in your life. You need it. It's biblical. That's why June 5th to June 9th, we will be having a prophetic conference called Activate with prophet Kevin Leal and one of my pastors and spiritual fathers, Pastor David Chisholm from the Rock Church in Parkersburg, West Virginia. We are going to dive deep and let the Holy Spirit release his word and his life and his power in this church. I would highly encourage you to make every single service. We will release the schedule and agenda real soon, June 5th, June 9th, take off of work. Now, on the 6th, we're not having any meetings, but then we'll have it Wednesday night and then Friday day, Friday night, Saturday day, Saturday night, and Sunday morning, Sunday night. That's a lot of church. But this is an immersion. This is shift you and me. I get shifted every time. Many of you are here, or many of you listen because you like the way that I preach and the confidence and the boldness, the militant nature that's inside of me with love. It came because of a father. And that father is going to be here, and he invested into my life, and I want him to invest into your life. You want to be here for that. Amen. So this leader would prophesy. This leader was fearless. This leader was wise. This leader was confident. And again, this leader was married and had a, had a marriage that was full of God's presence and power and life that would enable them to step up when Israel was oppressed for 20 years, destitute and without a solid leader. This leader was militant in nature. This leader was a worshiper. This leader sang and wrote songs. This leader would be a woman. Probably saw that coming. Somebody's like, huh? Just three and a half generations, 146 years after Joshua passes away, we're at 1240 B.C., 1240 years before Jesus. Somebody wants to tell me that a woman can't be a leader or a pastor, I guess we'll rip those two pages out of the Bible. And don't think for a second that there's still not denominations and people and movements that don't believe women should be in a pastoral position. But maybe after today, you'll change your mind, or they will if they're watching. Because I'm going to show you today. You, got, you women have something powerful inside of you. This is the best Mother's Day message I could ever give you. My wife is actually even excited about it because she's like, well, that leader was only mentioned a couple times. I said, no, there's so much. She says, well, I'd like to hear that. I said, done. <laughs> this woman... More than just a judge, more than just a leader, more than just 
a woman who was prophetic gets a title that only three people have ever been given. It's a mother in Israel. And today, we're going to empower some mothers in the kingdom of God at Rock City. And I'm going to release a spirit right into you and pray that God's power and presence will come on every woman and that you will not be held back, shrunk back, or walk in fear or shame from your past and that they'll get revelation in your, that you'll get revelation in your marriage and in your home and that you'll be transformed to live differently after you hear this. So let's enter the woman named after a bee. Her name is Deborah. Come on, you guys ready? <clears throat> Judges chapter four, verse four. Judges chapter four, verse four. Now Deborah, a what? A what? There were five prophetesses mentioned in the Old Testament. One of them was a false prophet, and there was one prophetess mentioned in the New Testament. Her name was Anna. You can study her later. Philip's daughters were all prophets or prophetesses, New Testament. God still empowers women to be prophetic today and even walk in the office of a prophetess. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. So she was a judge. Now my wife says to me this morning, she says, I would make a really good judge. And I said, you already are. And I'll leave it at that. And then she's like, you know who I really like? And if there's somebody that is a woman that's a judge that I think is pretty awesome, it's Judge Judy. She doesn't play games, I'm telling you right now. She says, zip your lip. I'm going to tell you exactly what to do, and you're going to do it my way. Stop. This, this conversation is over. Now, you throw some Holy Spirit into her and a mouth of prophecy. Woo! Watch out. Fill Judge Judy, Lord. Just fill her with your spirit. Come on. Now here we find a couple of really cool things. She was married to a man named Lapidoth. That's all you know about her husband, Lapidoth. Now I don't recommend you name your children Lapidoth. But the meaning of this name gives us the key to the ability of what she was able to do. The meaning of Deborah's husband's name is a flame of fire. And that's why I'm going to make a statement, and I make no apologies for it. Don't get offended if you're dating somebody right now. Don't get offended if you're married to somebody right now. But I'm going to make this statement. If they don't pray in tongues, they don't get any tongue. Come on, guys, lighten up a little bit. You, let me just tell you something right now. My daughter, my greatest desire for my daughter is for her to marry a spirit-filled man. And don't you think for a second my number one qualifi qualification is not going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want my wife to marry a Lapidoth. Lapidoth was a man of... She's married to a Lapidoth. Yeah! 
That's how you do that right there. Hey. Shaka. See, y'all are tracking. I was just, just checking you. I'm serious, guys. Listen, I don't make any apology. I don't think, if you don't pray in tongues, I don't think you're less spiritual. I don't think you're not saved. I don't look down on you. In fact, I've allowed people to be in leadership position here that weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. And guess what? Because I loved them right where they were at and I kept challenging, eventually they said, I really want it. Once you come to the place of saying you really want it, I believe you'll get it. The challenge is, is most people that don't, don't really want it and they don't get aggressive for it. You don't sit on the couch and say, well, God, if it's your will to fill me, just do it, Lord. I'll just wait around. That's not how I did it. I got Pastor John Hagee Sr.'s book, The Steps of How to Be Baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I read it, and I heard about fire, and I said, I need that. Because in my Grateful Dead days, I was twirling fire glow sticks. I was into all kinds of fire and bright red tie-dyes. I needed some real fire in my life. I'm just telling you right now. I was fascinated. I was hungry. And if you stick around with me, it will be contagious. You'll get hungry too. Not everybody wants it. Not everybody wants to go up the mountain. I'm not out to be popular. I'm not out to, to just have a big mega. I want an army. And I'm looking for y'all to be an army. That's what I want for you. Come on, guys. You can do it. You can do it. So... You, so Deborah has this incredible thing happening. I'm going to read it to you here in a second. She's got an incredible ministry. And she's sitting under a palm tree named after her that was a meeting place for Israel to come and have their disputes settled because she understood the Torah, the Mosaic law, and she knew how to accurately re represent God's heartbeat in that. So God promoted her. God promoted her to be the leader. But she was also confident and militant. My greatest desire is for my wife to do anything and everything that God calls her to do and for me to never hold her back. I don't ever want to hold my wife back. If my wife got propelled into the spotlight, if, if, if y'all love hearing her more than me, I'm totally great with, great with that. I know some of you do, by the way, which doesn't bother me one bit. Like, seriously. Yeah. I want her to speak as much as she wants or as much as she doesn't want. I want to propel her. I want to challenge her. Many times I'm like, look, God's got a word in you. She's like, no, God hasn't given me any word. I'm like, yes, he does. She says, nope, and don't ask me to speak. And then I get the microphone, and I say, Amber's got a word for you all today. And then she gives me the look. She steps up, and God shows up. That's why I, I'm going to tell you right now. Here's a great example, Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer's husband David, what else you need to know? Do you understand? So men, if you want to really have a happy life, get flamed on spiritually. Because when you flame on spiritually and start being bridled and man of fire, guess what? Your wife will fully flame on and be so happy that she will step into her calling and destiny from God. See, God wouldn't do it without a couple. And at home is a life, instead of strife and division, a life of God's presence and fire and joy. Come on, come on, men. Come on, men. We're here to celebrate. Come on, sons. You want to make your mama happy? You're making your mama so happy, by the way. 
Dude, I'm not, I've, no, I've never seen her glow and radiate as much as you being around here. I'm proud of you, son. I'm proud of you. I'm very proud of you. You know what you're doing? I'm prophesying over you. You are reversing the curse of the spirit of death. You are bringing life and the power of the blood of Jesus. You are the promise of God and the key to redemption in your family line, your children, and your families to come, and every promise that your mom has prayed for for her whole entire life. You are stepping into that, son. You receive the lightning strike from God and the power and the presence and the fire to ignite you. Be ignited right now in Jesus' name. Be ignited right now in Jesus' name. Woo! We need lightning strikes. And Deborah would need a lightning strike of a man in her home and to lead the army. If the nation of Israel was going to come out of their oppression... They didn't need some sissy, pacified, weak leader. They needed a woman that was prophetic and confident and militant, but they also needed a man. And that man would be a man named after the very term lightning strike. His name is Barak. God would summon Barak from his family to Deborah to take the charge to lead the nation of Israel out of their oppression and their bondage. So let's pick up the story. Judges 4, verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Now let me give you the background on this battle. Mount Tabor means the mountain of brokenness and the mountain of mercy. Mount Tabor is a half-sphere mountain in the middle of an open plain in the Jezreel Valley in Israel. The Jezreel Valley is also the name of the valley of Megiddo, where the city of Megiddo is. We went there when we went to Israel, but also the place of the, va- of the battle of Armageddon. This is going to be where Jesus is going to lead triumphantly all of us in worship and prayer and his word to destroy, finally, the kingdom of darkness. The, Je- the Jezreel Valley has a river going through it called the Kishon River. The Kishon River has its headwaters on Mount Gilboa. Mount Gilboa is at the other end of the Jezreel Valley, and it's the headwaters for this little river that passes through the Jezreel Valley. Israel is oppressed. They're beat down. Deborah summons Barak, and here's what she says. She says, take 10,000 men with you up to this mountain of mercy and brokenness, and And Sisera is going to muster together his army of 900 chariots at the Kishon River. And the Lord is going to go before you and destroy the enemy. And Barak says something that reveals fear and worry and doubt in his heart. He says, I'm not going to go if you don't go with me. It'd be like Pastor Marlene or another prophetic woman saying, son, you are to go and you're going to do this. And God's going to go before you. I say, well, I'm not going to go without you. It was fear and doubt instead of just fully trusting the word of God. So Deborah says, well, I'll go with you, but God's not going to give the glory 
to you, he's going to give the glory to a woman. And so he says, fine, so she goes. Now let me tell you a little bit about this battle that you're about to read about. Okay, this is an incredible story. It's almost like a little mini coming out of Egypt story. Let me give you some background. Israel, at the time of Joshua, 146 years before, was highly trained and capable of executing a broad array of tactical maneuvers, including special operations and the ability to take fortified cities by storm. Israel would be armed with sickle swords, long and short spears, simple bows, slings, and shields. Israel's past military infrastructure included reconnaissance units, heavy spear infantry, light infantry, archers, and slingers. Notice there were no chariots and there were no horses. You know why? Because the Bible says that God doesn't want us to trust in chariots or in horses, but to trust in the living God. And when you're in hand-to-hand combat, you need the presence and the power of God to fill you and strengthen you. It's what David's mighty men had. It's what the patriarchs had. And it's ultimately what would come upon the nation of Israel to destroy the enemy. You're all going to have spiritual warfare in your life. But God gives you the strength and the ability and the power through his spirit to give you the victory. That you Well, actually, he's already given you the victory, but to help you overcome that battle. But Israel had slingers and archers and light infantry and spear infantry. Their range of tactical maneuvers and operational capabilities was impressive. It included forced night marches over rugged terrain, ambush, tactical surprises, concentration of forces, enticement, decoys, deception, coordination of divided forces, tactical communication, indirect approaches, feints, uh, diversionary movements, lethal pursuit, and storming fields and fortified cities, guerrilla warfare. So when Deborah says to Barak, get up on this mountain, they're thinking, hey, that'll be easier for us because the chariots can't go up on that mountain. So they're probably thinking it's going to happen one way when the truth is the battle would be won a total different way. So here's what happens. Verse 15. Deborah summons Barak. He says, down the mountain you go. Down the mountain you go. Verse 15, sorry. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. Let me tell you what happened here. Just as the chariots are camped at a dry riverbed at the time, the Kishon River, up there on Mount Gilboa, which is named water gushing from a rock, bus open, either from a thunderstorm or God commanded the water to come out of the mountain, whatever it was, we don't know, but a flood starts coming down. They're sitting in a dry riverbed with their 900 chariots. Here comes, she gives the command to uh, Barak to go down the mountain, and suddenly the flood floods the 900 chariots, and they get stuck in the mud. And I want to prophesy that your enemies are going to be stuck in the mud if you listen to God's voice and fight right and do it his way. God would supernaturally intervene. He's done it more and more times than I can tell you. Don't think you're the one that's got to fight this battle. All you got to do is stay in position and listen to God's voice. And if he says yes, or if a woman tells you to go, get up and go. I have learned that my wife prophetically hears God's voice, and many times she tells me what to do, and I don't like it but she still tells me what to do, and I listen, and a majority of the time, a majority of the time, she's right. 
Not always, but a majority of the time. <laughs> she thinks she's always right. But I've learned that I've, God designed this in the context of marriage. And every woman leader in this house and any woman that's going to stay in this house is going to have the spirit of Deborah ruling inside of them. And I'm going to show you what she sings and what she says after this battle about who she really is. The chariots get stuck in the mud. Deborah gives the command. And she says, the Lord's going to go before you in battle. The Canaanite army would be defeated. However, Sisera would escape and ultimately hide in Heber the Kenite's tent at the urging of his wife, Yael. Now let me tell you about Heber the Kenite, the traitor. The Kenites were descendants of Moses, but lived in the land of Canaan and also got sucked in to the lifestyles of the enemy nations. And Heber the Kenite actually allied himself with the Canaanites. And so they come and they camp close to the battle. And it's Heber the Kenite that outs the Israelites on Mount Tabor to Sisera. Heber the Kenite actually sees the Israelites go on the mountain and goes and tells Sisera, hey, there's 10,000 soldiers up on the mountain. You better come quick. So he was a traitor. He was a traitor, but not his wife. Not his wife. Watch what happens. Let's pull that scripture back up. The Lord routes Sisera. He flees. Verse 16. Barak pursued the chariots, the army, as far as Harasheth Hogoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Next verse. Sisera flees. He goes to the tent of Yael, the trader's tent the wife of Heber the Kenite, and there was peace between Jabin and Hazor for the house of Heber because they, they were allies. Next verse. Yael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Don't fear. And when he had turned aside and into her tent, she covered him with a blanket. Verse 19. Then he said, please give me a little bit of water to drink for I'm thirsty. So she opens up a jug of milk and gives him a drink. Milk was fit only for kings. And Prince, he's like, oh, yeah, milk. And covered him. But guess what that milk did? Guess what that curdled, nice, full tummy after a battle? He was exhausted. And now he drinks a big jug of milk and he gets sleepy. This is one strategic woman. Yeah. She lays down. He lays down to sleep. He says, stand at the door. Protect me. If anybody comes and inquires, is there a man? Tell him no. Verse 21. Then Yael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg, took a hammer in her hand, and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple, and it went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, and pow, he's dead. Next verse. And then... As Barak pursued, wait. Oh, yeah. As Barak pursued Sisera, Yael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. Next verse. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. Why? Because the military co uh, commander of the enemy, the enforcer, was dead. 
or defeated. And I want to tell you today that Jesus already drove a stake in the enemy's head. And that stake was him on the cross defeating him. We serve, a def we serve a confident, victorious God, and we fight against a defeated enemy. So sister is dead. The, the Israelites overcome the, the Canaanites, and guess what happens next? The glory goes to a woman. You would have thought it had been Deborah, but it wasn't. It was another woman named Yael. Now, I don't know why she decided to turn against the uh, Canaanites, except for the Lord's favor and divine intervention turned her heart. And she was the one that ultimately killed the enemy, the person you might have least expected. Here's Deborah's response. Deborah would respond to the victory of battle by writing a song. Something is so powerful about worship and singing. And Deborah would write a song together with Barak, and she would start verse 1 with this. Let me read it to you, Judges chapter 5, verse 2. She would start with one of the most important things I want to give you today. When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. There is a leadership call inside of every single one of you. It has to be developed, cultivated, and grown. You, some of you may think, well, I wasn't born a natural leader. Leaders are developed and grown, influenced, imparted to, nurtured, trained, and equipped. And in the kingdom of God, you need training and equipping. Ephesians chapter 4. God gives the five-fold ministry, which includes apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, for the training and equipping for the work of the ministry. And God wants to equip and train you for the work of the ministry. But you got to willingly offer yourself. You can't just sit idly to the side. There's a call of God inside of you. We don't serve because there's a need. We don't serve because I get my value from it. We don't serve because I find my self-esteem needs from it. You don't get to serve for those reasons. You may at other churches, but here's why you serve at Rock City. You serve at Rock City because you need to be trained and equipped and discovered and developed. And that comes from relationship and watching and submission to other leaders and authorities that God puts in your life. That's what happens. So when somebody willingly offers themselves, guess what Deborah says? Man, this, because the, the nation was so destitute. Do you understand? So of all, more than the victory, more than the battle, she starts singing, thank God, somebody willingly offered themselves. Amen? Powerful. The best leaders lead in worship, and they sing praise to the one true God of Israel, verse 3. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. I want to challenge every one of you, not just the women here, but also the men, to sing. I want to challenge you to worship. Stop being concerned about what somebody else thinks about you. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy. If you happen to make it through those front doors, which in many ways can be a miracle as it is, and you get in here, worship the Lord with everything inside of you. If you want to see breakthrough, you put Jesus first. If you're going through it, you put Jesus first. And it's not just because you made it in the doors, but you did something when you got here. Deborah was a worshiper. Women worship. I heard somebody once say not long ago in a side conversation that oh, church is for women, not really for men. First of all, that's a deceptive lie. Second of all, there are a lot of powerful women in church. And when you find a church full of powerful women, watch out. 
Watch out. I'm telling you, watch out. So, so real leaders worship. Do you see what Deborah's singing? You're seeing something from Deborah's heart right now. Verse 6. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Yael, here's what, what was happening in the nation. Highways were deserted. Travelers walked along the byways. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until something happened. Until I, until Deborah arose, arose a what? A mother. That was her greatest position of influence because mothers love and care deeply and empower and propel their children. She had a burning passion for the nation of Israel. She longed and desired to see that nation set free and live upright and come out of their captivity. She was a mother in Israel. The Israelites chose new gods, and there was always war at the gates. No shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. But listen to what she says. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. You've got to come to the place where you say, whatever gifts and talents God has given me. I know some of you are thinking, well, I'm not equipped. I'm not ready. I got too many problems or too many struggles. God always has you in a process. Today, tomorrow, five years from now. And I want to challenge all of you to start offering yourself willingly first to the Lord and then to service in his kingdom. Every one of us should come to a place where we're serving, working, and volunteering. And you may notice that at Rock City Church, I don't pound the drum of volunteering and service. You know why? Because I pound the drum of the Holy Spirit and identity. Because if I can get you flamed on and understanding the vision, you'll say, what can I do to give myself freely and willingly? And I can, you cannot sit sidely by. All you young adults should be volunteering somewhere here. If you've been coming to this church for a consistent period of time, step in and start leading. If you're working things out or new or just growing and the Holy Spirit's saying, look, have a season of rest, I get that and I'm okay with that. But at some point, you give away what God has given to you. Amen? Bless the Lord. Let's all say, bless the Lord. We needed a mother in Israel. They needed a mother in Israel. We need a mother at Rock City. We need lots of mamas, and we need lots of mamas in the nation. The mother's heart always believes, desires, and power, speaks life, and leads with authority from the heartbeat of God. Judges 5.12. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, and sing a song. Arise, Barak. Arise, you men of lightning. Arise, you honeybees who sting like a bee. Let's drive back the darkness that's wreaking havoc in families, our sons and daughters, the injustices in the land. We can do it as a family. We can do it as an army. God has always believed in and empowered women. The best empowerment comes from the heart of a mother who is full of the Spirit, walks in the fruit of the Spirit, engages in spiritual warfare with confidence in God's Word, is militant, has no fear, and has a burning heart for God's people as sons and daughters. True spiritual mothers sing and worship. One thing I can identify with a lot of people, men and women, is if you have a fruit issue. Sometimes the stress, the worry, the anxiety, the depression comes from a lack of spiritual fruit in your life. If the Holy Spirit's living in you, you got the fruit of the Spirit, but you got to cultivate it. Gifts are given 
fruit is grown. Meaning that you have to cultivate that personal life of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, patience, joy, kindness, temperance, meekness, gentleness. All of those things of which there's no law against them. Nothing is against it. And so cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in your life is critical. True spiritual mothers sing and worship. They have healthy marriages and husbands that can be their rock and flames of fire for them and their family. Come on, men. Go after it. Go after it. Get hungry. Get thirsty. Make the main thing the main thing. Seek first the kingdom of God, not jobs and money and busyness. Make Jesus your number one priority. Real mothers are not afraid to leave, direct, and guide as the Spirit leads. And we need fighting men like Barak who have gotten the lightning strike from the Holy Spirit so that God does it in you first and then can give a lightning strike to somebody else. He does it in you and then he does it through you. And we need to not be afraid to listen to mothers like Deborah or mothers in this house like Mama Marlene, Mama Colleen, Dion, any, any other mothers that have children that are raised up into leadership, sons, men, when your wife is prophetic and full of the Spirit and gives you a word, salute them and go for it. That's what Barak did. I'm going to pray for you to get a woman that's on fire for Jesus. That's what I'm praying for you, Ryan. A woman that's full of the power. Ray, I, Ray, you're Ryan to me in church, but Ray privately. I'm telling you right now, bro, God's got a woman that loves Jesus passionately and intimately and that's full of his spirit that won't compromise ever, that will call you higher, that loves you and loves your son, but loves Jesus first and won't compromise, but will be fully surrendered and submitted to what God has for them. That's what God's going to bring for you. Same for you, Leighton. It's going to happen. Hey. It's going to happen, mark my words, at the right time, at the right time. We got men in this place that are growing confidently and boldly, and we got women that are doing the same. And we're going to see marriages. I did a marriage yesterday that met and started here. Presence of God showed up, and it was fire. I'm doing another one next week. Same situation. Well, they didn't meet here, but they got redeemed and born again here. Awake! This means to wake up from your sleep and your slumber, Deborahs. I affirm you, yes. every woman in this house, young and old. Yes. Awake. Awake prophetesses. Awake judges. Awake confident women full of the Spirit. Awake, you lightning strike men. We got a job to do. And we're marching into battle. It's not playtime. It's not showtime. It's go time. Let's all stand.